Today is Wednesday, January 10th, 2024, and this is the Weekly Refresh. I often hear motivational speakers say things like, don't focus on the past, keep your eyes on the future. I recently heard someone say, I don't have a rearview mirror, that is for the weak, I only look forward. I hate these kind of statements because they dismiss the value of your experience. You are a collection of thoughts and habits that you have experienced in your past. Your past makes up who you are today, and who you are today will determine who you will be tomorrow. I believe that the sentiment of these statements are that we should not dwell on the past, as that will drag us down, but instead we ought to make plans and prepare for the future, and there is some truth in that. But there is a reason we tend to focus on the past. What did you do yesterday? I'm willing to bet that you could give an hour-by-hour description of your day with many details in between. What are you going to do tomorrow? You may, be, you may be able to describe what you plan to do, but none of that is guaranteed. If you wake up sick tomorrow, then all your assumed plans are abolished. The reason we focus on the past is because we know the past, and the reason we tend to focus less on the future is because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. It's much easier to think about that which did happen rather than that which might happen. And most of us have enough life experience to know that even if we think we know what might happen, we also know that what might happen can change in an instant and what we expected to happen doesn't happen at all. Therefore, we hold the future loosely and in a desire to have control over our lives, since the future is so loosely held, we grip tightly to the past, overly focusing on what was already, uh, what has already happened in our lives. So, what is missing at this point? What is yet to be considered when we contemplate how much we ought to think about our past and how much we ought to consider and plan for our future? What is the most important missing element to this concern? God. So let's take the advice of many motivational podcasters and focus on our future. And let's make sure we are doing it in a way that honors God. Thankfully, God has given us great clarity on the subject of planning and considering our future. James 4, 13-17 says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. There are two statements made by James one in verse 13 and one in verse 15. In verse 13, the statement is an example of what we ought not to say, and in verse 15 is an example of what we ought to say. Notice that in the example of what not to say, there is a desire to make a profit. You can tell that James is addressing the arrogance, from verse 16, of those who plan to make much of their lives, but to do so without consulting with the Lord. This is exactly what these motivational speakers are pushing. For you to plan for the future with the ultimate goal of making a profit or making money or having a comfortable life without consulting God, which can only come from arrogance, a trait prominent in most motivational speakers. But James counters that sentiment and says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
that truth immediately puts us in our place and makes us realize that we are not in control of what happens in life. James gets this idea from Proverbs 27.1, which says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Jesus also tells us in Matthew 6.34, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Meaning, today is already enough to have on your plate. So don't add to it by worrying about something in the future that you cannot deal with right now. Instead, deal with what is on your plate now and let the future come when it does. Ultimately, what Jesus and James are trying to convey to us is the importance of putting our life in the hands of God and trusting that what we have to do today is enough for us and that tomorrow will be exactly what God ordains it to be, requiring our confidence in his sovereign will. And this necessity to trust God with your daily living is revealed by the reality that we cannot control tomorrow, as today is already enough for us to attempt to manage. In verse 14, James continues to set us straight by humbling us. He says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Life on earth has existed for approximately 6,000 years. And your life is less than 100 years. So in the scope of life on this earth, our existence is, as James says, a vapor that is here and quickly dissipates. Now that is only in comparison to life on this earth. Reality is more than just this life or the time that this, uh, the, the time that this life on the earth has existed. Reality is eternal and God is real and God is eternal. So in comparison to eternity and in comparison to God, this life on earth for us is infinitely short when compared to an infinite God who exists infinitely outside of time. James is trying to get us to compare our experiences and desires to the one who has existed eternally and doing so automatically humbles us. And we need humility when planning our future because to plan without humility, James says, is boasting, which he also calls evil. Therefore, James humbles us by comparing our quick life to the eternal life of an infinite God, so to ensure that when we consider what to do with this short life, we are first considering him who is eternally all-knowing and sovereign. That is the point James gets to in verse 15, when he says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As Jesus said, you simply don't know what tomorrow will bring. And since we don't know, it is arrogant to assume that things will go according to our will and our plan when it is God whose will always prevails. Meaning, instead of making plans, we ought to be humble enough to recognize that God determines our life as an expression of his sovereign will. Humility is required to understand the absolute sovereignty of God because it demands that God is in control and we are not. And that also requires that we submit to him in every way and always in life, including our plans for the future. James is not saying that we cannot make plans for the future or that we cannot joyfully hope for certain things in the future. If he was saying that, we could not have we could have no hope in the future return of Christ. Instead, he's saying that our plans must first be filtered through the Lord. We must at least recognize that though we plan to do something tomorrow, we are aware and believe that those plans will only come to fruition if the Lord has ordained it. If he has not, 
then plans will change. And when plans change, people get frustrated. But when, our, but when your priority is to trust in God's sovereign will for your life, then instead of being frustrated with changed plans, we're encouraged by our confidence that this change was ordained by God and created for our good and His glory. That mentality completely changes our attitudes and ability to adjust and pivot as our plans for life fall apart. This is why James says that we must actually say, if the Lord wills, because to proceed each declaration of the future with those words ensures that we are acknowledging God's sovereign rule over our lives and his ability to orchestrate our lives as he sees fit. This also ensures that when he does make changes that we did not see coming, that we are not ruined, but instead we are confident in God's will because we trust him. Saying, if the Lord wills, is a constant reminder to ourselves that our life is not our own, but that we were bought with a price, and the one who paid the price gets to to determine what to do with that which he owns. Saying, if the Lord wills, is like admitting that God is in control before we make any decisions or plans for our lives. It is not a habit that many Christians practice, myself included, but it needs to become a habit, not just so that we are checking off a box in the obedient column, but so that we are always reminding ourselves that God is sovereign, in control, and we are submissive to him and to his will, and in that submission, we adjust joyfully, knowing that his sovereign will is better for us than whatever we had planned for ourselves. There's no power in the words, if the Lord wills, in and of themselves. The power of those words is in the truth of who the Lord is and how we view ourselves and our lives in comparison to his supreme grandeur and sovereign rule. The power of those words is activated when we say them and we are humbled before our mighty and great God who knows all, sees all, and determines all. James ends in verse 17 by saying, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is a universally applicable truth, but within the context of James 4, 13 through 17, it means something very specific. When we make plans without first consulting with God, we are automatically going off track. Even if we guess God's will for our life and we make a decision that is exactly what uh, he would have chosen for us, that is still not God's will because God's will includes you consulting him first or at least recognizing his sovereignty over your life. And there is a problem with moving forward without recognizing and consulting God, as such a choice leads us into sin. James just said in verse 16 that to not recognize God's sovereign will over our lives when we plan our lives or our days is arrogant and boastful and evil. What does evil produce? More evil. So people making plans for their days without filtering life through God's will is evil. And such an evil will produce more evil. Meaning James's audience was not only ignoring God when making decisions, but also them ignoring God led them further into sin. As James MacArthur states, the sin of omission leads to the sin of commission. Meaning, when we omit acknowledging God, it only leads us to commit further sins. 
Hence, as James 4, 17, James 4, 17 says, when we know what we ought to do and fail to do it, acknowledge God's sovereignty, it leads us to actively commit sins against God, making the omission of good itself a sin, since it produces more sins. So what are we to do with this? Well, one thing is pretty clear. When we talk about the future, whether tomorrow or next year, we must acknowledge the Lord in our planning, consult with him, turn to him, ask of him, pray to him, listen to him in his word, trust in him when he changes our plans. Meaning the words, Lord willing, isn't just a Christianese phrase we throw around jokingly, but it is a seriously important statement and declaration that we trust in God's sovereign will over our lives, even in the smallest decisions.